It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. The landscape, the culture is changing. We're realising how important our mindset is and how important a balanced athlete is, and that trying to move away from that athlete identity and servicing the whole athlete, the whole person, and making sure or finding ways to help that or do that and help their performance in every area of their life, so not just on-court stuff. We're checking in again with Nat Burton. After transitioning from WNBL player to assistant coach with the Perth Lynx, she's able to provide valuable mindset coaching for a team that's probably had the most challenging pre-season in the entire league. Nat's personal experience gives her the ability to assist the team to build their resilience and achieve their goals. We also get into her mentoring business and the expanded work she's doing with juniors. Nat's approach of taking it back to basics and working with grassroots associations to embed the right culture and mindset from the start of a young basketball player's life is building the champions of tomorrow. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me today, it's Nat Burton, who's back on the show after a couple of years. We haven't spoken to you since prior to the hub season. Unfortunately, my co-host Jacinta Gavin can't join us today because she's not feeling well. Nat, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you back. We haven't spoken to you since before the hub season, like I said, when you were with the Flames. And we haven't had a chance to catch up with you since then. And I know it's a while, but how did you find the hub? I loved it. I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was a little bit concerned because Normally, I'm someone that needs uh, a nice balanced life. I need a life outside of basketball um, to help me perform on the court. But so obviously going into the hub, I was a little worried, like this is going to be full on. We're going to be in each other's pockets for six weeks. Uh, But it actually was probably one of my favorite seasons I've ever played in the WNBL because we just played. So we didn't have to train much, any player's dream. Uh, And we had a great group of girls and... I personally finally found a place where I could just play for the pure joy of playing. And that was up and down throughout every moment in every game. There were times when I was not enjoying it because I was didn't think I was playing well or whatever. But for the whole, I finally played for me. And that was a big, big step for me and a big change um, in my time in the WNBL. And that definitely impacted my experience of the hub. That's interesting because, like, it sounds like you just kind of zoned in on the one thing and excluded a lot of the external stuff that kind of gets in the way of being able to perform at your peak. Yeah, so I think that there was a combination of 
things that happened because, yes, I like that balance normally, but that was probably impacted by I was playing with a mindset of I was never good enough on the court and basketball was a source of stress and um, anxiety and just constant struggle mentally. And so I needed those escapes almost in the rest of my life, whereas into the hub it was, yes, focus on basketball only, um, finding the time to wind down and, and step away when I could uh, and making the most of those little times to do that. I think also adding to that my mindset of I am here for me to enjoy playing rather than I'm here to prove that I deserve to be here or that I'm good enough to be here. So that made playing more fun, which meant I needed less of a distraction from it because it wasn't seeping into the other areas of my life as much. So I have no doubt that it was a combination of a, a lot of things going on uh, at that point in my life. Did you find that basically, we, like you said, you were all in each other's pockets actually was helpful for you because you kind of like when you're with a group of people and you're constantly involved in something, so you're playing a game together consistently on quite a rapid sort of cycle because I think you guys were playing, what, a game every three or four days almost. Yeah, that was probably the longest time between games we had yet. Yeah, that you've actually got to keep yourselves up. So it's not just you having to keep yourself up, but the rest of the team is there and you're kind of being really mutually supportive. And because of that, that made it a bit easier. Would that be a fair Um, statement? Yeah, I think it could go both ways. And I think there were times when it did. There was a period in the middle of this the hub season where it felt like we all needed a break from each other and we still liked each other, but it was just if people aren't being responsible for their own energy that they're bringing to the group, then that impacts everyone else. Like no matter what energy you're bringing, it's going to impact others. And at times it wasn't a positive energy or one that helped others. But I think I definitely took on a, a leadership role in the group and a couple others of us did as well. And because those relationships were really strong and we had we were always around each other, so you're always going for lunch or whatever with different teammates, it was a little bit easier to have that camaraderie and that buy-in um, in that situation. Whereas when you're you know, in a normal season, you might have other friends, especially if you're at home, you have other friends and you have these other parts of your life. But yeah, being so close together, you definitely, well, I definitely felt that um, I could connect better with my teammates and that helped on the court. Because even though, like, we didn't win, we didn't win the championship, which is what we wanted at the start, but we still came out of that being really good friends and and coming out of a team still. So that was testament to, I think, living together so closely for so long. Yeah, I I mean, thinking back to the hub, one of the things that seemed to come across watching the games was there was a level of cohesion amongst the team that you don't always see. It's When the season is longer, you'll notice that there's ups and downs in the cohesion of the team, whereas because of the compressed nature, it seemed like that cohesion was there more consistently. Yeah, I'd say so. I think that helped us on the court for most of the times if – if it was mayhem out there and something wasn't working, we really did try to band together. And actually, I remember our last four or five games were probably our best games. We really started to find something different. And there is no doubt in my mind it was because our warm-ups changed. We were just relaxing. Like we just kind of everyone breathed deeply and we just started joking around in our warm-ups. We were playing loud music. We were just being instead of feeling like oh we've got to like 
oh, come on, like forcing it. Like anything forced is is just unnatural. And when we allowed ourselves to just bring the way that we felt um, and we got together off the court onto the court, then we started to place like with that cohesion that you're mentioning. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look back at like first game versus last game, the warm-up in itself. That was the best bit of it. It was It was awesome. It's like anything. As soon as you find that point where you're having fun, things seem to just flow that much better. Absolutely. And like I keep coming back to that a lot, and especially lately in my life, that's the reason we play in the first place is because it's fun. Like when we're the little kids and we, we start playing basketball, we don't play because um, we're trying to prove a point. We play because it's fun, first of all. And then because of the nature of sport and then into elite sport, we lose it. We can lose it along the way. I certainly have multiple times. So as long as you're bringing that back, then you're you're acting naturally and then there's that flow and then you're there for something other than an egoic reason. Yeah, it's kind of the thing that you notice, and it's not just with sport, but it's with anything. As soon as you lose the fun aspect of it, it becomes harder and it becomes harder to motivate yourself to be able to reach that peak performance that that you know you're capable of. And because you're not getting it, sometimes the self-doubt starts to creep in, which is like, I know I can do this. Why can't I do it? Mm. And then you're trying to force it. And then that's just, that never works. And then you're overthinking and that never works. So it's definitely the key for a lot of, well, I think for everything is that fun. I absolutely agree. And and after that hub season, you headed back to Perth and you changed teams for the NBL one. <laughs> well, that last season I did play for the Hawks. So I headed home and I played for them. For a season, but then just recently I've changed now, so I'll head into my first season with my new team. Okay. How have you found making a decision like that? Uh, It was incredibly hard, and it was one that I fought myself. um, I didn't fight anyone else about it. It was just only ever me. And I made that decision because someone, they knew I wasn't happy last NBL one season. I did I lost that fun and it was for a lot of different reasons, but it was all up here. And it was all most of it was, you know, how I was approaching the trainings, how I was approaching the season, where my headspace was at. And I lost the fun and it became something that I was like, that's it, I'm I'm done. I told my friend and halfway through the season I said, do not let me play again next season. I am like, listen to me now. I'm retiring. I'm not going through this again. It was that I was unhappy. And then at the end of the season, because that's what a lot of athletes do. Like you go through the season and halfway through, you're like, oh, this is like my body hurts. I'm I'm tired. Like I'm probably done at the end of the season. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, okay, come on, let's do it again. Um, So I was, you know, thinking about that. I was talking to the coach about it and um, we were thinking about how we could change things. And, And my friend asked me, you know, like, what do you actually want next season? And that made me think about what do I want? And it was just, I just wanted to have fun. I wanted to find that that fun again and that joy. And then um, I was challenged with, well, like, where can you find that? And are you going to get that where you're at? Or do you need to look elsewhere for that? And for a very long time, I couldn't look elsewhere because I'd played with that team for, since I first started, for 20 years, uh, in and out with that team. So then it became about, well, why do I feel like I have to stay? And then I realized, well, it's because I don't want to let everyone else down. I don't want to let the coach down. I don't want to let the management down, the the relationships I've built there for 20 years, the comfort I felt there, I didn't want to walk away from. But that was just because I was, like I said, comfortable, safe, protected. I knew what would happen. I knew what, what it was like to play there. 
and to leave was too fearful or was too fearful of it. So then I was like, well, I don't really want to be making decisions based out of a fear place just because I was scared about what people might think about me. Yeah. And you mentioned that in a piece that you've got on your website where you you talk about how fear is holding me back. It was a really interesting read. And what I've really come to realize, particularly over, you know, being around the WNBL for a long time is there's a lot of players, I think, who end up in that mindset. I know that WNBL season, I'm going to play here, I'm going to do this, and then out of that, I'm going to go to this, and I'm going to do that. It's almost like, you know, it's not, not the best way to put it, but it almost feels like, you know, once you're on that hamster wheel, it's hard to find a way to get off. And then after a little while, there's that fear of what happens if I get off, and that stops you from taking that next step. Absolutely. Uh, there is, if there's fear in... Um, so many of our decisions, even just minutely down onto the basketball court, like I know that I was certainly played with so much fear my entire career. And I went to, to Rio feeling like I didn't, I wasn't really good enough to be there, feeling like I deserved to be there because of the hard work I put into getting there. And I knew my strengths. I knew what I was there for. I had a good relationship with the coach, but I still felt like I had to prove that point. And if I didn't, it was because of fear, you know? So it's definitely in every, it has been a lot of my decisions and I know it influences a lot of people, but then we tie ourselves to the game. So as I'm yep. coming towards the end of my career, you know, I've been so afraid of who am I without basketball? Who am I if I'm not an athlete? And now I'm like, am I an athlete? Like we're not playing WNBL anymore, but so am I still an athlete, even though I'm going to play NBL one. And what does that title even mean to me? And am I putting a lot of power into that title? And, I know a lot of athletes don't want to let go because it's scary. You put a lot into this career and the whole time you've known it's going to end around the age of 30, if you're lucky. Um, But yeah, a lot of fear there. It reminds me of something that I read a long time ago about a Formula One driver, Nicky Lauda. He was literally at a Grand Prix. Uh, I think it was the Canadian Grand Prix. And he'd gone out and done the first round of practice and realized I'm not comfortable here. Literally got out of the car, said, that's it, I'm done, and walked away. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading where he said what looked like from the outside to be an incredibly easy decision, which was I got out of the car and said, that's it, I'm done, and left, was actually an incredibly difficult decision because it was like, you know, I've literally closed an entire chapter of my life. What do I do next? And it's kind of, it's hearing you say that reminded me of that story. And I think it's across all sports. For sure. And it's almost like, yes, who am I without this? But there's a sense of I'm supposed to do this. Like I'm supposed to go, like you said earlier, from WNBL to NBL1, back to WNBL. You know, that's just what I do. That's just what we do. And without that, then I must have failed in some way. I mustn't be good enough. I must, in some way, we've failed. And you definitely, like, I can't imagine making a decision like that in that moment, like the story you just explained. That's that's strong. And I I can't, I don't know what was going through his head, but I know a lot of my stuff's been around, like, I'm supposed to do this. What will others think if I stop, you know? You hear stories of it, so. Yeah, and that was part of what was it. It was like, what's the world going to think? Because, you know, here I am, I've shown up to do my job, and literally it's almost like I walked in the door, 
took one look around and went, that's it, I'm done, and walked, it, walked straight back out the door again. What will people think and what will people believe of me for doing something like that? That's, that's a pretty scary concept to try and face down. It's scary, yeah, when you're stuck in that cycle of giving your power to what other people think about you and what the title of an athlete means and you know, all those roles in society that we play. And I think the key to it is stepping away from giving that power away and that's what I speak about in that piece you're referring to and instead holding it back, like bringing it back to, well, at the end of the day, it's me, it's my life and I'm living it and my opinion matters, has to matter more than others. Like what do I want now? What serves me? What am I going to be okay with moving forward? Not what they might think, they might think, they might think. It's about bringing that power back to what me. And that sounds kind of selfish, but, you know, when we used to fly in airplanes around, it's been a while for me now, um, and they tell you the oxygen masks come down, they tell you to put yours on before you help anyone else. Yep. You can't, you got to make sure you're okay. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier, you got to make sure the energy you're bringing to the team is on point, is good, because it's going to affect others and you can't help someone else if you're not okay yourself. I know that it helped me coming back to, okay, I'm just going to stop giving that power away to what I think other people might think, which I found out was mostly no one really cared, um, and, and bring it back to what do I want and what am I going to be okay living with. You also literally transitioned from WNBL player to coach moving into the coaching staff for the Lynx with a big break in the middle because of you know the whole COVID thing. But this one's something that really interests me because it's one of those areas where there are players who make the transition from player to coach. You know, they can do it. And there are other players who just look at it and go, that's not something that I could do. How did you find that transition for yourself? And, and what was it you know, for you that you kind of looked at it and went, I'm confident that I can do that. It's been difficult for a number of reasons. The season hasn't helped being, you know, the links going away for so long and not being able to be involved the way that I thought I would. So, you know, I felt like I kind of been in and out, like trying to keep contact with everyone, but not being there for the games and just being so far away. So that's definitely kind of changed the experience that I thought I would have. I always thought that I'd be that person, that player that was like, no, I'm never coaching. It's never appealed to me. But what I really like is the relationships with the players, with the athletes, with bringing yeah. what I've learnt from my career and helping others with that and mostly with their headspace and how they're approaching things and, and little skill stuff here and there as well. So I think that's why I agreed to do it is because I, I really want to pass that stuff on and I'm just really passionate about it. That's my business is the, the athlete well-being and the mindset type stuff. But it's also really hard going from being a player uh, and being amongst it and seeing the game when you're in the middle of it on the court and having an influence on the game physically to now stepping back, now trying to analyse and read what's going on and read how players are feeling and then communicate with the coaches and provide that feedback without really being in it. And it's just, it's a different way of looking at things and it's challenged me. <laughs> and at times I'm like, where do I stand? <laughs> What do I do? Um, but that's not what it's about. It's about the information that I have and that I can see based off of my playing experience and the relationships I do have with the players because I've played with a lot of them and played against a lot of them and how I can give that to, to Ryan and to Brad and back to the players to help them play. Do you ever find yourself sitting on the sideline going, 
okay, coach, I'm ready. Send me in. <laughs> well, Saturday <laughs> night was the first time I've been on the bench uh, for a game. And it was really hard. It was, <laughs> it was seeing things and I was like, okay, I can do that. Let me go out. Yeah, let, <laughs> let me have a go. But having to step back and also be like, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, I'm at a point where I think, because I've been asked to like train here and there to help out with numbers and stuff and I've always been adamant, no, thank you. I'm done with that. I really feel like my career, maybe it wasn't about the – teams I played for, the stats that I got, the things I achieved. Um, maybe it was about the things I learned along the way, the experiences that I had, the struggles that I had, and now using that to help others going through the same thing or going through something completely different, but still using it to help them in some way. It's interesting hearing you talking about that because we just recently spoke with Fleur McIntyre, mm-hmm. assistant coach for the Kings. And one of the things that, that she was talked about a lot was about the relationships and that that's really one of the things, that, one of the key things for her in terms of coaching. It sounds to me like you're really looking at it in, in that same sort of approach. It's the relationships. It's being able to work with the players to try and bring the best out of them in terms of themselves so that they can work together better as a team. Absolutely. I would not have taken this role up if it hadn't been about that. I don't have the experience of a coach to, you know, run plays and and do all the stat type stuff. And I don't know if I will continue down that path and, and pick those skills up. I don't know if that interests me. What I really like are those relationships. Coaching is about managing people and bringing together individuals to work as one unit to achieve a common goal. And what I do like about coaching is that like Ryan, our head coach, is so good at plays and scouts and tactics and stats and all that stuff. And a coach can't just be one thing. So as a head coach, you recruit, you know, other people in the areas that that you aren't interested in or aren't as good at. And I believe that, well, I know that that's why I was brought on board is the player relationships and the player's point of view as well as Brad. He's very good at that as well. So definitely that's what I'm there for, my passion. I've heard a lot of people say that, that Ryan is really good at the X's and O's and really critical and important role within a team but it's also the as you said you know the personalities and being able to get the personalities to work together because let's face it you got 12 people and quite honestly if you ask 12 people how to do one thing you're going to get 12 different answers so it's really important to be able to find a way to get everybody on the same page i think without making them feel like they're being forced into getting onto the same page Definitely. And it's a lot about, because when you come together for a team sport, obviously it's, it's full of those 12 individuals and each individual is looking after themselves. Like they've got to make sure they're okay and that they're bringing their game and that they're bringing their best. But at times that's not the case. At times it'll be like, well, why aren't I starting? Or why did you, do you not have any plays for me or something like that? And it's really easy to get stuck into that mindset um, when really yeah. you're there for the, greater good of the team so you're sacrificing for the greater good of the team and at times yeah that doesn't really you need to work through that with someone and and that's why you need those people there who can help you and communicate communication is probably the biggest thing that's going to help with that making sure you're all on the same page and that you know why you're there and what you need to do to help the team get there so let's talk about the perth links in relation to that and look 
I've got to be honest, in terms of performance this season, the team's just been doing so well, particularly given the start, you know, the start of the season where they couldn't play for a while and then they had a very compressed period where there was a lot of games in a short space of time. What's your thoughts about the team's progress so far in terms of how they prepped for the season, how the season's kind of totally gone sideways in a way for the team and how they've performed and getting back to where they are at the moment? Yeah, Ryan's messaging from the beginning was, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what this season's going to look like, who's going to be fit, who's going to be sick, where we're going to be playing. And I think because that was drilled in from the start, the players are, are being very adaptable. They have, straight in the preseason, it was always we've got to be ready for anything. And then we started a month later than everyone else. And that was a long preseason and girls were really feeling it. And then they go away and then the games are cancelled and it's just sitting in a hotel room. And, and then the borders are not reopened so they can't get home. So time after time there were these decisions made that was almost worst case scenario for them and kind of kept hampering them and could have really hurt them. But they found a way and I wasn't amongst them to be able to, you know, live it. But from what I know, they've just adapted. It's been like, okay, this is now where we're at. Let's pivot. We've got to do this. And and I know that there, obviously there were tears and there was extremely hard times when they were away. It was tough for them, really tough. But they stepped onto the court and for a lot of them it was their outlet. And for a lot of them it was a way to come together and finally do the thing that they were there to do, which was playing. They just wanted to play. They didn't want to sit in a hotel room anymore. So I think it's a true testament to their ability to just adapt. And I believe they'll continue to do so. Again, from the outside, looking in, the performances that the team's put in, given all this, the adversity that they've had to face, I think it probably puts the team in good stead going into the postseason. It's that kind of resilience that you want a team to have within itself to be able to deal with that additional level of intensity that comes with postseason games. You know, in terms of the challenges that you think the team's going to have coming up into postseason, what do you think the team needs to do, if if anything, in terms of trying to aim for that championship, which is obviously in their sights? Yeah, I think it's just going to be whether, and this has always been the case for every team this season, whether they can continue to uh, adapt and to bring that resilience and use it. So, yes, they've, they've developed it, but now the next time something's thrown at us, is it, that's it, I can't take anymore, or is it, okay, we've done this before, we go again. And I believe that that's where they're at and they'll continue mm. to be so. And I know that after Saturday night's loss that tonight will be a flip. You know, it's, they're not the team that just is like, yep, cool, like that's us and our season's done or that was bad and we're just going to be bad forevermore. I think we can look back at what they've gone through already and they can use that and I believe they will and that'll be what helps get them far into the playoffs. But it's interesting that you talk about the resilience. Can you keep using it? Because I know we're kind of going a little bit off topic here, but I think one of the teams that's really exemplified that this season, like the Lynx, is the spirit from a team that's kind of had a pretty ordinary start to the season. They just stuck to their guns and didn't back down. That's an example of, you know, being able to build on that resilience, which 
every successful team, I think, needs. Yeah, and you see that team and uh, I know a lot of people have written them off, but they still come out to play. And it's a sign that they're pretty focused on playing in every moment, in every game that they're in. They're just there to play, so they play despite what people are saying, despite they won't have a postseason or, you know, and that's that's exactly that resilience is, well, we have an option. We can either write this off and be done and we'll know what we'll get there. We might win a couple, we, we might probably won't, or we we find a way to just go out there and, and I'm going to say it again, do the thing we love to do. Obviously, there's been a lot of that fun and that love for the game coming through, but that's how you help that resilience. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those traits in teams that sometimes gets overlooked because a lot of people quite often will look at the roster and go look at this roster a team like this you know they're going to win and yeah look having a stacked roster always always helps but there have always been instances where you see a team that's got a roster where you look at it and go how can they possibly lose and they do it's because it's the resilience and also going back to what you were talking about your role with the team is the ability to be able to get very diverse personalities, particularly where you've got a stacked team, to work together. Sure. It is not just about talent. Is We know that. It's never just been about talent, uh, which is why I'm so involved in the athlete wellbeing side of things because we're really good at, you know, getting stronger in the gym and, getting shots up together, shooting better and and having really talented physical players. But that doesn't mean anything if you're not coming together as a team, if you're not checking your energy before you walk into training, if your mindset's not in a good place. It doesn't matter how good you are or how well you can shoot. If you step onto the court, you miss one and you're downing yourself. So I think that that's part and parcel is that have you – have you come together as a team? Do you have people to help you do that? Have you been working on your mindsets? Can you use the resilience you've been building through preseason, through the season, and then display that? Um, or are you just going to – have you not worked on that and you just try to, to use that talent and it can only get you so far? Yeah, and obviously this kind of leads into something else I wanted to discuss is your mentoring business. And when we had you on the show a number of episodes back, I think it was episode 24, so it's it's been a while, uh, you were talking about the, the mentoring. I'm really curious to find out how that's been going for you, how it's been growing, how you've been utilising that not only in your coaching role but also outside of basketball. Yeah, since we last spoke and I came home, I've had a whole year and a bit to work on it and, and build the business up and it's been incredibly busy but incredibly uh, amazing and fulfilling uh, getting to work with a number of different athletes ranging from ages 11 to 26 uh, and just show them a side and guide them and support them in developing a side to their game that we've left, we as in society and sport culture, have left untouched for a very long time. I think being a mentor I've realised is uh, you know, I'm not a sports psych. I'm just using my past experiences, my own uh, struggles and own ups and downs of playing across all levels of basketball to to help other athletes. And at the end of the day, it's just a lot of conversations about reassuring people that it's okay to that you're doubting yourself and it's normal. Everyone does it. Have you tried doing this? Or let's flip the way that you're thinking right now and can you approach the game like this? 
all with the goal or the the bigger picture that it's not just about the sport. It's about how can we learn these things in sport and then apply them to other areas of your life. And it's obviously not just the mentoring. So it's it's a lot of other support type services and just trying to, I'm working with a junior sporting organization now about putting an athlete wellbeing framework in and it's changing a culture. It's educating people on, like I was touching on before, it's not just what we do on court anymore and it shouldn't have been all this time, but the landscape, the culture is changing. We're realising how important our mindset is and how important a balanced athlete is and that trying to move away from that athlete identity and servicing the whole athlete, the whole person, and making sure or finding ways to help that or do that and help their performance in every area of their life, so not just on-court stuff. It's a really important thing for people to be able to understand. And culture, as you said, for the junior sporting organisation, changing the culture in organisations like that is very hard. There's a lot of resistance to the change because I suppose there's a mindset of, hey, we've always done it this way and it's worked, so why should we change? But I also know that if I look at it from people that I've encountered you know, in a business career, probably the, the, the greatest piece of wisdom I've ever gotten is you know, when it comes you know, to culture, it's not an important thing, it's the most important thing. Because if you set your culture right, you're effectively setting up the organisation for success right from the grassroots. How do you try and move the needle in terms of that kind of cultural shift? I'm right in the middle of it right now. So um, the, the program's underway. I'm working with athletes. But obviously just working with athletes is a Band-Aid fix, especially yep. young athletes. They go home and their parents are the biggest influences of their life and their coaches, and so they should be. So I'm not there to influence the messaging that they're getting at home, which might mm. be different to what I believe can help them. Uh, So I'm actually working with parents as well in the club and coaches. So we're trying to touch base with everyone so that the messaging that athletes are getting, the support they're getting is what they need. And then hopefully uh, now the messaging coming from coaches is that, you know, your mental health, training that, supporting that is now a normal part of an athlete's routine. So we have on court, that's normal. We've always done that. But now we add in once a month, an extra session where we, we discuss other areas of being an athlete. We're trying to make that normal. And that's a way that we're changing the culture. So that messaging is there. It's like this, you know, on court's not the only thing that makes you an athlete. It's also just a lot of conversations, honestly. Conversation after conversation with people just saying, yes, that's the way we used to do it, but that doesn't mean that it's the best way anymore. Can we try something different and find a way to to support your athletes, to help them be their best, to help them play at their best, to hopefully achieve success? which is kind of what we're there to do anyway. So leading them all the way to the end result. It's an interesting point. Do you find that, and this might sound a bit strange, but there's a positive view of success and a negative view of success because particularly around sports, it's always you've got to be the best, you've got to be you know, number one, you've got to be, you've got to be. And yes, that is correct, but how that message is conveyed can either be a positive thing or a negative thing. Yeah, I think you have to define success. So what does success mean to you? 
as a team and as an individual. And then it's not about being the best. It's changing even that way of thinking to being your best. And I know working with a lot of young athletes, it's they compare themselves a lot to other athletes um, and they feel the pressure. I just honestly, I'm so surprised but not surprised that the things these young athletes are dealing with are crippling. And it's just, you know, a lot of them it's like their parents on the sidelines are hurting them in a game. They're noticing them, they're realising them. And so I'm trying to catch it at that age so it doesn't turn into, which is what I did, being at an Olympic Games and listening to articles written about me and listening to other voices in social media that were hurtful to me. So I lost my train of thought on that one. But um, (laughs) it's about instead of trying to be the best, can you bring your focus back to, okay, what's my best? Knowing that your best will change every day, go up and down depending on how you're feeling, depending on a lot of different things. But if you can look back and say, I brought my best, I gave my best, then that's a pretty empowering way to to play and to live. Yeah, I suppose particularly because, you know, and let's be honest, in every team there are the, the stars and there are the role players. And sometimes you'll see, you know, people say, oh, yeah, they're just a role player. Well, no, they're not just a role player. Fair enough. They are a role player. But that is just as important to the success of a team as a star because, you know, how often have we seen a team full of stars that just can't get it together for an entire season? There'll be flashes of brilliance when they can get it all together, but then it doesn't always work because there's an inability to be able to step back and say, okay, I've got to play this role and this role only within this particular game so that we as a team can achieve the outcome that we're looking for. Mm. And that ties back into how you're defining success. Like, are you defining it by being top scorer on a team? And as a society, we do. We put athletes up on a pedestal who are great players of the game and then we kind of forget about everyone else that helped them get there. And don't get me wrong, they're, they're great players and they're amazing athletes, but it does take away from everyone else in the team. And there's a risk of people buying into, well, I'm not enough because I'm just a role player. And I think that's more harmful than hurtful to anyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you've moved from player to coach, mentor. What's next for Nat Burton? Uh, I will (laughs) be questions. I'll continue to uh, work on the the business. So I'll uh, definitely be working on the mentoring. I'll keep that going. And with these new athlete wellbeing frameworks being put into place, that's definitely where my focus is at at the moment. And that's changing the culture, as you, you definitely mentioned, is very challenging. And I'm really, really passionate about making this change bigger, broader. So I'm starting it at a junior uh, organization, but definitely have aims to take it into to higher elite programs. And I want to see a change across all boards to the way that we support our athletes. Because I know that from my experience, going through it I felt like there was something wrong with me for struggling with confidence or for caring about what other people thought a lot and it wasn't until I realized that everyone has that every single person has moments has components of their lives where they give their power away and they take action from a fear place and and I don't believe that that has to be the way there's definitely things out there that that they can do to help change that and so I want to help support athletes as much as I can and 
do you have plans or in your vision of the future, does that include taking the program wider than just West Australia and sort of trying to make it national? Absolutely. And international, hopefully one day. I definitely have a big vision for that. And at times that's pretty daunting. And my old uh, self-doubt, <laughs> I to play a lot with that one, but I'm learning how to navigate that thanks to basketball mostly and um, having that vision there, but also, okay, what am I doing right now? I'm working with this person, this athlete, uh, and how can I take steps towards that vision right now and not get um, too daunted by that big, big dream that I have. Cool. Now, not that many weeks left. You'll be traveling with the team if they're going interstate or you're just staying focused in Perth? Yeah, I won't be traveling. Uh, I'll just be in Perth. Okay. It's a shame. <laughs> Maybe, you know, see you at this side of the world. I know. It'd be nice for a change. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> soon. Nat, thanks so much for your time. It's great catching up with you again. And it's really great to hear how things have developed for you, certainly in terms of the coaching, definitely in terms of the mentoring, because I'm finding that stuff is really, really interesting. Definitely want to catch up again to find out more about how the, how the mentoring business is progressing and growing. Good luck to the team. I've been enjoying watching them play. Can't wait to see how this postseason pans out. Who knows? There might be a ring in it. <laughs> I think we're in for some exciting basketball. And Oh, we definitely are. Pretty lucky to to still be a part of it. I know that if I'd just stopped and, and not been involved still, I'd be uh, in a different place. I'd really be missing it. So it's helped me a lot, and I hope that it's helping the other athletes as well. Fantastic. Nat, thanks so much for your time, and we're really looking forward to speaking to you again in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.